All right, good morning to you once again. I don't know about you guys. I've heard some folks that said that uh, it's a little chilly this morning, but here's my feeling on that. It feels really good this morning. I like the cool. All right, let's uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 2, and uh, we're going to take and unpack chapter 2, verse 28, down through chapter 3 and verse 3. And uh, before we do that, uh, let's just pray, and then I have a another scripture text that I wanted to read as well that goes along with this message, but let's pray first, all right? Father, we thank you this morning that you're the gracious and good God that you are. Lord, we pray this morning that uh, all distractions may be set aside as you speak to us through your word, and God, that um, you would be the very one through your spirit that would uh, teach us this morning. We pray, God, that uh, hearts just would be comforted this morning, Lord, with this hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, uh, we'll be careful to give you the glory for everything that is done, uh, because you and you alone, O oh Lord, do deserve the glory. And we ask all this in Christ Jesus' name, amen. All right, I must confess to you right now that my wife told me right before I came up here, dismiss the kids for Children's Church, and I did not do that. Fortunately, they know that. Uh, after me being here a couple of months, they already realized that I'm not going to do that. Uh, so they just go ahead and get up and leave. All right, uh, I'm going to read, first of all, uh, our, our text will be out of 1 John, but I'm going to read out of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because it kind of sets the stage uh, for where we're at in the scriptures this morning. Uh, talking about Christ, our hope. But in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, verse 13, I'm going to start there and read down through verse 18 and just make a couple comments as a way of introduction. But Paul, writing to the church of Thessalonica, says this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, what I want to bring out about this portion of Scripture today is just kind of as a reminder that Paul is addressing the issue to the Thessalonians or Thessal uh, the church of Thessalonica saying, listen, they were concerned about those who had died and he's trying to get across, hey, the Lord is going to come. They're with the Lord right now and when he comes, there's going to be something that is going to be very unique that happens. And it says that he is gonna, there's going to be a shout and there's going to be a trump and those that have died, their bodies are going to come up out of the grave and they're going to join uh, their spirit in heaven or in the clouds with the Lord. And he says, and then those of us that remain here, immediately thereafter, we're going to be joined up with him as well and meet them in the clouds and said, and to be with the Lord forever. And now you'll note in verse 13, it says there that there are those who have no hope. Those that are not saved, those that have not placed their trust in Christ. But you and I, 
as believers in Christ, we have this hope that Jesus Christ is coming for his bride. Right? And that is, is what we're going to kind of talk about this morning. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1 says, tells us that Jesus is our hope. And over in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, he says that we are to be looking for that blessed hope, which is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our text this morning out of 1 John, that's where we'll be, 1 John, John speaks of our hope and the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in the text, we're going to find some characteristics and perspectives. A few characteristics and perspectives that we want to look at concerning our hope in Jesus Christ. And, and I would ask this morning as we, as we study the Word of God together, that you would kind of ask a few questions of yourself as we listen to God's Word. As we preach through these perspectives and characteristics, ask yourself, are these true in my life? Are these characteristics true in my life? What are the consequences if they're not? What areas in my life that might need to change or there might need to be submission in my life, repentance? Kind of think through those things as we preach through this morning. Because sometimes God will speak to us and there may be some this morning that don't know Christ. There may be some who are walking the guilty distance from Christ, and there may be some that just need encouragement this, this morning. Can you say amen to that? So here are our main points this morning, and, and uh, there's five of them. Uh, we'll, we'll cruise through those pretty quickly, but I do want to give you just a heads up on it. Here it is, the main points. And the theme is this, hope. Hope. Hope, first point, hope abides in Christ. Hope abides in Christ. Hope produces a righteous life. Hope, and I'll go back through these again, hope is a result of God's love. Hope is fulfilled in Christ's likeness. And finally, hope pursues purity. I want you to grab hold of that one especially. Hope pursues purity. Let me run through them again. Hope abides in Christ. Hope produces a righteous life. Hope is a result of God's love. Hope is fulfilled in Christ's likeness. And hope pursues purity. Now, if you'll look in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, uh, we pick up where we left off last week. And for those of you that are visiting here, we, just, we preach through the Bible. We preach through a book at a time, usually, and we'll preach through verse by verse, and, and sometimes word by word, so we get a, a clear understanding of what God is saying. But we pick up again this week in, uh, in verse 28, and the main point there is hope abides in Christ. Verse 28 says this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed before him. Is coming. Now keep in mind, what is the thing that, the, that this hope is that we have? The hope is this, is that Jesus Christ is coming for his church. Amen. That is the hope. 
The hope is not in this world. The hope is not the now. The hope is in what he is coming to bring, and he is bringing himself, and that is the hope that we have. Now, he says in this uh, verse 28, he says, abide. Now, you'll note again that he uses the, the word little children, uh, referring to all of God's people, God's children, and he wants them to know, listen, abide in Christ, and there is a hope there. What does abide mean? Abide means this, to live or to stay. It is a continual staying in, remaining in. And note what you're staying in. You're not staying in the church, right? You are staying in Christ, right? That is what you're staying in. That is what uh, John wants to get across to his readers this morning. He is saying this, all that we are and all that we are ever going to be is found in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the more mature that you get in Christ, it ought to be more and more in your life that you understand it is all about Jesus Christ. It is all about the day that the Lord is going to come for his people. Amen. That is the blessed hope that we have. And, and here's, here's where it grows even more. When I first got saved, it was all about, hey, I'm, I'm looking forward to this event. I'm looking forward uh, to being out of this world. Now I'm looking forward more and more to seeing him seeing Jesus Christ. John 15, 5 says this. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me bears much fruit. From apart, for apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. In other words, everything that we are, everything that we will ever be as God's people is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. And, and, and listen, when a church grabs hold of this truth, that it is all about Jesus. It is not about us. Amen. It's not about, listen, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm thankful this morning that Ken was here to lead the music. But I'm going to tell you something. If, we had not, if I had gotten up here and led the music, no amens. <laughs> if I had gotten up here to lead the music, we still could have had church because Jesus is here. Amen. It is about Jesus Christ. That is what this is about, abiding in him, staying in him, remaining in him, continually with him. It is not a once-a-year type abiding. It's not a twice-a-year abiding. Abiding on Christmas and abiding on Easter. That's not abiding in Christ. Amen. Abiding in Christ is staying in him. Day by day, sometimes we have to just practice it moment by moment. But that is the goal of the Christian. Well, why are we to abide in Christ? Our hope is abiding in him. Why are we to abide in him? Because this is, this is the reason. Because the reality of his coming. Note there at verse 28 says, it says, And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear. It's not if he is going to appear. Brothers and sisters, it is when he is going to appear. It's not a question of if he's coming. It's simply a question of when he is coming. And John was writing this in the sense of saying, listen, you are to abide in him. So whenever he comes, you're ready. That's the point. 
And so, again, not is it going to happen? No, it is going to happen. Just be ready when he comes. That's what he's saying. Now, we know this. Here's, I'm going to prep you uh, for the rest of the church, other than Steve saying amen. I'm going to prep you. Here's a great place coming up for an amen with the rest of the church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in the when, and you are abiding in Christ. All right, very good. You pass all. I'm going to give everybody a smiley face for that. Just want you to know that. Because sometimes, I, I was talking to a fellow yesterday, and, and he said, you know, he's, he, he goes to another church. I won't mention that it's, it's a good church. Uh, I had a great time yesterday up in Hartsville, Alabama. Everybody, you know, I wouldn't say, you don't have to say amen to that. Uh, that was the birthplace of my wife, in case you didn't know that. But anyway, what was really important yesterday, there was a ranch rodeo up there, and that's why I was up there, so watching that rodeo. But I sit down with a brother in Christ, and, and we're just sharing with him. And he said when he was a young man, he went to a hellfire brimstone Baptist uh, church, and it drove him out of the church because he got the feeling that he could never, ever, ever measure up. Listen to me. Listen to me this morning. If you're here and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says this, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from him. Amen. But we also need to know this, that abiding in him means that there's fruit. Because John 15, 5 says that apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no fruit. But if you're in him, you bear fruit. Amen. Right? So we have to balance that out. But what does abiding do? Why are we to abide? Because the reality of it is coming. Why do we abide in him? Because it produces a confidence. Let's look at, again, uh, verse 28. It says, when he shall appear, we may have confidence. That you and I, as God's people, when he comes, we have confidence. And here's what confidence means. It carries the idea of being free and fearless. It literally means to be able to free to speak. So what does that mean for us? What are the implications for us? When you abide in Christ, when you are remaining in Christ, when you are living in Christ, you and I have a confidence that when he comes, we have a confidence that we are not going to be ashamed Amen. when you live for Christ when you're walking in him when you love him when you're following his commandments the Bible says you can have a confidence and that you won't shrink away on that day when he appears it gives the idea of a cheerful courage Listen, I will say this. There have been times in my life that I might have been a wee bit worried about if the Lord was coming because my life wasn't measuring up to where I knew I needed to be. Can I get a witness? But the more that we stay, now again, I can't earn my salvation, right? Nor can you. But there are those times in my life that I have walked that guilty distance and I sure wouldn't have wanted the Lord to come right at that moment. Don't y'all look at me that way. Because I know some of y'all will live that way too. It's an assurance that you will not be ashamed. I will say this. I am thankful for the Holy Spirit. I got ready to watch a television show recently. I turned it on, boom, turned it on, started watching it. It was like immediately the Holy Spirit says, you got no business watching that. I love the storyline, but there was some stuff in there 
that God would have not been pleased with. And I happen to think, because I've been reading ahead on the scriptures, how would I feel if the Lord came right now? Would I be ashamed? That's what I meant this morning when I say, would you think this morning, right? You're a reasonable people. You're a thinking people. And think through and saying, Lord, what areas of my life would you like to see change in? Now, we realize that, that God wants to change all of us. That none of us have arrived to that point to where we can say, I've got it all. I've got it all figured out. I haven't. I would hope that you would agree with me that you're not there yet either, that God is still changing me, helping me to grow to become more like him. Why abiding in him? I have to say this as well. The lost man, that person who does not abide in Christ, does not have a blessed hope. That's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said this. He says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. I'll be doing a funeral this afternoon. There will be grief, I'm sure, because the loved one has left. But that loved one is in the presence of the Lord. God's people do not grieve as those who have no hope doesn't say that we don't we grieve but we just don't grieve as those who have no hope because here's the deal one of these days one of these days I'm gonna to get to see my parents one of these days I'm gonna to get to see my grandparents because they're in the presence of the Lord and I'm looking forward to that day I told my granddaughter recently I said one of these days I told Addie one of these days Addie Papa is gonna to get to go to heaven the place where I've wanted to be for a long time. Now, does that sound strange? It shouldn't. Not for the Christian. Because that's our blessed hope. Not this world, but a world that he's prepared for us, where he is at and where his people are at. Number two. Number two. Point number two. Hope produces a righteous life. Hope produces a righteous life. Look at verse 29. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. There are two different, in English, we have to kind of break it out a little bit because in, in Greek it's a little bit different. The word know, he uses two different words for know. John does. The first one is that to know uh, is this, is to have an absolute belief, an absolute belief. The second know that he uses there is to know by experience. In other words, you come to know this through experience. So two different words, but let me explain how they're used here. It, it, it's, here's the one. It says, you know that he is righteous, verse 29. If you know, in, in that if, you can just say it like this, since you know, since you know that he is righteous, that is, that you believe that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is and that you have put your faith in him, that is the no, right? That is the no. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. How do I know that? Because God has given me, by grace, the ability to understand and know that the word of God is true. 
That's the knowledge he's talking about. That is the knowing that he is talking about there. He says, because you know that. The second way that it is used there, and again, just keep in mind the point, is that hope produces a righteousness. Knowing, first of all, that Jesus Christ is righteous. Knowing that God is righteous. Because, and here's the second thing, experience knowledge. Because you know uh, him and his righteousness, you can recognize what right living looks like. You get that? Because if we hope in Christ, if our hope is in Christ, then we're going to live a righteous life, a right life. And how do we determine what is a right life? The right life is simply this. A right life is doing what God's word says. That's it. It's not mystical. You know, it's not like the Holy Spirit comes in at night and throws a little bit of whiffle dust over me and I wake up the next morning and I'm holy. No, I do that because God's word says that and I practice what God's word says. That is to live righteously. Now, the other thing that it's saying is implying is this, is because we can recognize his righteousness, we can also recognize the righteousness as we live it out, but we're also able to recognize the righteousness in others. Have you ever just been around somebody else and you know that they're a follower of Jesus Christ almost immediately? You know why? Because you're able to see that in their life. It's obvious in their life. I, I, sometimes, though, I, I've met with people and I, I would just, you know, talk to them a few minutes and I'd lean over and I said, uh, you're, a, you're a believer in Christ, aren't you? And they go, yeah, I am. Uh, well, there's nothing mystical about that. If, if you just listen to the way somebody talks, their outlook on life, it doesn't take long that you're, you're, you're able to be able to see that they're a righteous person. Now, understanding this, right? The, our righteousness is not our own. Do you hear me? The only way that you and I are righteous is through Jesus Christ, period. Right? I, I have no bragging rights in this. It's all him. Now, conversely, somebody can say that they're righteous, but their life may not match their words. Right? We've got to, we've got to be able to distinguish that. I, I hear people say, you know, usually, usually the person who's guilty will say this, judge not. You know, the Bible says don't judge. Well, that's usually because they don't want to be judged. Now, the Bible says this. I'm not to judge whether that, you know, absolutely where that person's at, but the Bible does tell me I can judge a tree by its fruit. Right? So that's okay to look at that. Now, it's not our responsibility uh, for any condemnation or that. We just simply judge the fruit. But when somebody says, you know, I, I, I have, and I know you have as well, Say I'm a Christian, but there's absolutely zero evidence in it. Do we just need to go along with that, or do we need to lovingly take them to the Word of God and say, hey, here's what the Bible says concerning following Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? You see, there's a big difference between uh, just slamming somebody, right, and, and giving them a hard time because of where their life is. I'm going to tell you what, thank God for his mercy, because you remember David, King David? David was living in such a way at one time that there was like, if you looked at his life, you would say, that doesn't look like a saved man to me. 
I mean, there's something about, you know, uh, sleeping with another man's wife and then having that husband murdered that just doesn't match up with holiness. You know what I'm saying? And yet God says he's a man after my own heart. Why? Because he got to the point that he realized how far he had drifted from God. And he says, against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. And God says, that's a man after my own heart. You could, you could put, that's a woman after my own heart. You see, all of us have, at times, walked the guilty distance from our Lord. And that's why grace is so amazing. That's why I'm so thankful for God's goodness and God's grace. But the Bible says as well, you can say that the one who is righteous does righteousness. We'll talk about that next week. And again, God's words, not my words. Third point. Third point is this. Hope is a result of God's love. Look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. I love this verse. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Hope is a result of God's love. John says this, and I love this word behold, and excuse me, in the King James, but it's like just an expression of amazement. It's like, it would be like this right here if he was writing it today. He's going, wow, check this out. Look at this. Look at this amazing love. He says, behold, look at this amazing love that God has bestowed, that has given to us. Note there, it's nothing that we have earned. He says, I've given it. I have bestowed it to you. Nothing that we do to earn it. But here's one thing that just amazes me, brothers and sisters. It would be enough if God simply forgave me of my sins. But he says this, that not only has his love forgiven me for my sins, he says, my love has brought you to the point of being my child. You see, that's something totally, totally different. One thing just to be forgiven, it's another thing to say, and no, not only do I forgive you, but I adopt you, I bring you in, now you are my child. Behold, how amazing this love is that we would be called the sons of God. And you say, well, that, that, that doesn't sound very good there, uh, Pastor. Uh, sons, isn't that a little bit sexist there? What about, uh, what about daughters? What about, what about children? Well, let me, let me just explain a little bit about that, right? Because we live in America. It's hard to understand the Middle East mindset, Right? I remember being in Afghanistan, and when I was sitting down with one of the elders at a, at a key, we call it a key leader engagement, right? So I'm sitting down with this guy, I've got my old gray beard, you know, and uh, I'm sitting with him, and he's got his gray beard, and we're talking back and forth, and, and I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a grandfather. You know, they, they call me Baba anyway, that was what they called me, Baba. And, and so I'm, I said, I'm a grandfather, and they said, oh, great. He says, you have a son. And I said, oh, it's a granddaughter. And he goes, oh, daughter. And it's like, well, for me, that was great. But see, for that culture, sonship means everything. Because that's where the inheritance was passed on to. Do you see the significance for us as the children of God? He says, not only, he says, I am passing on the inheritance to you. 
Now, we, can, we say this and we understand this, right? That that means daughters and that means sons. That means children. But don't miss the significance of sons, right? Because that is where all of it centered on. And that's what he says to us when we read the Bible. Behold how I have given you all of it. You're my son. You're my child. That's an awesome thought, folks. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how, how, just think how God loves you. Think of this magnificent love that he has given that he gave his only son that you could have eternal life, that you could be with him, that you could be called his son, your, his daughter. Think of Jesus Christ who came and he, he lived, he left the glory of heaven, came and lived on this old earth and, and, and lived as a man who gave up the glory of heaven, willingly laid down his life, endured just unnameable suffering for us. And so when I read the scripture, and I think when John, the beloved, when he read and when he wrote this, he had that in his mind. And he was saying, oh, what a love God has for us. That he calls us his children. Folks, that's amazing to me. I've been a follower of Christ since 1976, and it still amazes me. And I don't ever want to get beyond being amazed by that type of love. As a matter of fact, I wanted to grow because it comes down to this. What is the hope? My hope is this, is that someday that same God is coming for me. Amen. That is the blessed hope we have this morning. And a hope like that is, sees the result of God's love. Note, but note this in uh, the last part of that verse. It's just don't be surprised that the world does not understand you. Verse uh, 3 Last part, it says this, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Talking about that world that's out there right now. Don't be surprised they don't understand you. This world is never going to appreciate God's people for who they are. They're not going to understand the intimate relationship that we have with God. It's because they don't know him. But God's grace is so good as that he desires for them to know him, right? Right? And it's our job to take that message to them, but don't be surprised when they don't understand that. That is why they don't have a problem behaving the way they do. Now, I'm saying behave they. Now, I want you to remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, now remember, as were some of you. <laughs> right? Because that's where we all came from. Every one of us. I don't care if you got it saved when you were 9 or 10 years old. My friend, you were separated from God. And that separation is the same separation that the worst sinner has is to be separated from God, period. Amen. The Bible says if you stumbled in one part of the law, you failed in all. Amen. Now, the world doesn't understand that we're, we're fastly turning away from I was listening to John Holder on uh, 90.7 this last week or maybe the week before that and he was talking about I guess in Alabama when they play uh, I'm, I'm not even asking about Alabama fans Auburn fans I don't want to get a fist fight started in church so but here's I don't you know I really I have no dog in the fight at all I could care less but he says evidently at the games that they used to play a song I think it's called Dixie Dan, 
Dixie Land Delight, right? And I think Alabama sang that. But at, at some part in there, they would, they would chant out something that they were going to whoop whoever. But over a period of time, it got vulgar and vulgar and vulgar in the words that they would say. Whole stadium chanting this, right? Yelling this. And so they, it got so bad that they quit singing it at all. And they tried bringing it back about two weeks ago. Guess what? They had to turn the volume up with their own word in it to keep the, the fans. And they, they asked the fans, don't do this. Guess what they did? They did it anyway. You see, the world will never understand us because it doesn't understand them. And then some radio talk hosts got on and said, what's the big deal? It's just a football game. Listen, here's the difference. It goes back to this other, other part about being righteous. You can recognize righteousness by a righteous act, and you can uh, recognize unrighteousness by unrighteousness. Amen. Child of God, be careful who you're associating with on those things. It is more than a football game. Behold what manner of the love the Father has bestowed upon us. Amen. You see, not only with sonship, the privilege of sonship, going back to the, that point before, or is this, that there's also a responsibility of sonship. In other words, you and I bear the Father's name. And how we respond in public has uh, an impact on who we serve. The community looks at us and they say, what are they like? What are they like? All right. Number four, hope is fulfilled in Christ's likeness. Look at verse two. Hope is fulfilled in Christ's likeness. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. He's established that. Hey, we're, we're family. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, hope is fulfilled in Christ's likeness. Even though you and I are God's children, right? We know him, right? We know him. And because we're his children, that is great. But our future potential has not yet arrived. Here's the deal, right? We've talked about this many, many times. We still have an old body, right? And that old body will crave after things that the old nature used to used to want. I was talking to somebody recently uh, about, and it's, I started doing it right here, I can't remember who I was talking to the other night, about when I used to smoke all the time. And, and I, I just automatically stick my finger up like that because that's the way I held a cigarette, right? And when I'd be out uh, drinking a cup of coffee around a campfire, still to this day sometimes, that old, that old thinking, that old smell, uh, it'd make me think, man, that, that would be, and I know it wouldn't be, right? And some of y'all, I don't, I don't want y'all to look around. Y'all just look straight ahead. Some of you riding down the road and you smell that old, that old devil's lettuce. You know, this is Rick and Bubba said. You know, you smell it and it'll bring back a memory. I, I see a bunch of you smiling, so I know who used to toke one. Right? You see, we still got that old body that, that drags us back, wants to pull us back into that old world. And we got this old mind that still thinks sometimes like we shouldn't think, that's thinking like the world instead of thinking like Christ. And the Bible says this, 
that one day, look at verse 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. He's establishing, yes, we're God's people, but we're not what we were intended to be yet. You see, when he comes, think about this, saints. Think about this. When he comes, boom, we're in his presence. A new body and a new mind. You think about this, oh, how it will be to worship him unfettered by sin. To be able to see things that as he sees them. That's what it's talking about here. The full potential of who we are is going to be made manifest on that day when he comes back to get us. But until that day, you and I still have to struggle with the old body and the old mind. And we have to, as Paul says, put to death the deeds of the flesh. When he appears, again, (laughs) new bodies, new minds, what a wonderful time that will be. Last point as we get ready to close things out this morning. Hope pursues purity. Hope pursues purity. Verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If you have the hope of Christ, you're to pursue a pure life. And, And I will say this. It should be the desire of every single child of God to live a life of holiness. If if there's not a desire to live a holy life, there really needs to be a strong questioning of where you're at in your walk with Christ. You you want to, I was listening uh, to Dr. MacArthur recently, and he says, what would it take to bring a great awakening in America? Some people would say, well, we just, need to, we just need revival. We need to go out and we need to win, 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 win people to Jesus Christ. No, here is what the key to seeing revival and reformation in the body of Christ is holiness. Holiness. I recently heard of a pastor who had an affair with a woman in his church had the child, said that she was a surrogate to cover up their sin. It got out. The church tolerated what was going on. He ended up murdering the woman. And we wonder why our churches are not doing anything. Jesus, and I'm probably going to preach through, you know, the first three chapters of Revelation just to hit on the churches again Because of all those seven churches, only two of them got a commendation. And the rest of them, the Lord said very clearly, either clean it up or I'll come and remove your candlestick. In other words, I'll remove myself. And you can just be a building of people. But I won't be present. Now, I, I know, we, I, I would hope that there's nothing going on at Westside anywhere close to that. But can I tell you, brothers and sisters, an abiding hope will do this. It will bring up in you a great desire to pursue holiness. And if we want to see the church grow, 
it will be when the church says, God, I'm going to pursue holiness. Sometimes I think we forget how holy and how pure he is. And how that we think that we can approach his throne so easily with sin in our lives. And I'm talking to God's people right now. There's that sin. It needs to be cleansed. And listen, here's the thing. God will never spank you when you come to him in forgiveness. Can I get an amen? amen. A lot of people say, man, if I, if I told God what, he already knows. <laughs> he knows, right? Let me, let me take us back to the garden and Adam and Eve, right? And they've sinned and they run over and they look and they say, man, we're naked, right? And they run over and they try to fashion themselves something to cover up their sinfulness. It's the first picture of works, salvation. They try to cover themselves up. And the Lord comes down and he says, hey, where are you, where are you at? And what's the response? Adam says, uh, we're naked. The Lord says, who told you? Who told you you're naked? He says, did you eat of the tree? See, he still wanted, he didn't want to come clean. He says, did you eat, that, did you eat of the fruit? And what's he do? It's that woman. <laughs> That woman, that's the problem. Somebody said, I went, I went to bed single and, and woke up with this, and then ever since, and I've had a problem. <laughs> then he looks at Eve and says, what's the deal? And she goes, that's snake. You know what they're really saying? God, it's you. It's your problem. You did this to me. If you hadn't put this woman here, if you hadn't put this snake here, I never would have sinned. So here's what God was after with Adam and Eve. Confess. Confess your sin and let me restore you. Brothers and sisters this morning, doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter how far you've gone. If you will simply confess and pursue that holiness, the hope and the joy of looking for Christ can be restored. And pursuing that, these things, it just makes it clearer, and it does become that blessed hope that we're looking for. Can we get an amen to that? Well, here's the conclusion of the matter. Where are you at this morning? Where are you at? Do you have a hope for Christ? Is there an evidence of that hope that is in your life? Are there areas in your life that God would say, I'd like to, I'd like to make some changes there? I, I've told you many times that when we were in East Asia on a mission trip over there, that we'd start every day simply by praying this. God, keep me close, keep me clean. Keep me close, keep me clean. It's a simple prayer, isn't it? But you know what we're praying in that is? God, help me to always recognize sin that's in my life and let me confess it. Let me keep it fresh. Keep me pure. And when I'm pure, I'm able to stay in close to you because I don't have to shrink away in shame. Can I say that needs to be the prayer for every single one of us this morning? There should not be a day that we don't start out by saying, oh God, keep me close, keep me clean. 
and let me represent your name. Let me think about your great love. Let me pursue holiness. Let me live righteousness. Let me abide in you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the great I am. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace that you have given to us. We thank you, O God, that you do not treat us as though our sins deserve. We thank you, Father, that you allow us to meet in your presence. And I pray for all of us this morning, Father, that we would give careful thought to where we're at in our walk with you. And God, if there's any sin, that we would confess that sin before you. that we live a holy, righteous life, Lord, so that your name is glorified. And we are, we are weak, Lord. We are frail. We admit that before you this morning. And we pray, oh God, that you would work in our lives. And we ask that in Christ Jesus' name. And uh, just still heads bowed, eyes closed, and not going to do any manipulation or anything at all. But I, here's the deal. If you need somebody to pray with, you grab me grab one of our deacons as we get ready to leave today. Uh, I just want to tell you that we love you. Uh, we need to love each other. And uh, anything you need to pray about at all, let us know. We'll, we'll sure be there for you. All right. With that in mind, just uh, go ahead and stand to your feet. And uh, we're dismissed. And uh, I try to kind of slip back here where I can try and get a hold of everybody today. Shake somebody's hand as you go out. <laughs>